1: Well, we've had another week of listening to or hearing about the magical, mystical testing up ramp for COVID-19 testing for now on six weeks, every day. Every day from the presidential briefing, we hear about the magical, mystical testing ramp up. But our ability to test, potential COVID-19 victims is still inadequate to meet the challenge of this moment. The nation remains stuck at a capacity of about 150,000 tests a week. That was the floor announced by Vice President Pence on March 9th, and he promised us then a ramp from that baseline every week until we had reached 4 million tests per week right about now. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I don't make problems. I try to solve them. And so I kind of remember vaguely that the president promised us during an early March visit to the CDC in Atlanta that anyone who wanted a test could get a test. And then he had a White House Rose Garden ceremony with a revelation that a Google subsidiary, actually, he said Google, but it is a Google subsidiary, was going to create a uh, simple application where you could just go in and put in your history and your symptoms, and it would tell you where to go and get a test. Anybody could get a test. Well, Verily's first. County, uh, where they tried to, uh, as they should, validate the program. In other words, first you know, their first user, user actual production user testing was here in the Santa Clara Valley. So when I got an email that told me Verily was up, I thought, well, I should go try. Well. I filled out all the the little questions. I went down the little decision tree and it told me at the end that I don't qualify. Well, that's kind of interesting because I thought Verily was the route to anybody who wanted a test could get a test. And I'm an anybody. I am theoretically also vulnerable. But I guess I'm not vulnerable binarily. So here are the real live numbers. To date, we have tested 5.2 million Americans. That's out of a population which the census is going to confirm is somewhere between 330 and 340 million individuals. In other words, we have tested barely if you want to round up 2% of the population. California, the largest state in the union, a state with a population nearing 40 million souls, cannot test more than 16,000 people this current week, coming week, and it can only maintain that level if FEMA delivers the 99,000 specimen collection swabs that President Trump has promised to Governor Newsom on a telephone call. We will believe that those specimen swabs are here when we see them. The governor's hope is to be able to ramp up to test 60,000 citizens a week by the end of May. 60,000 citizens a week out of a population of 40 million souls. And that would be a success based on any other state's results. But that's a quarter of a million people a week out of a population of 40 million. It's going to take a long time to test everybody. So California is correctly prioritizing its testing. Healthcare workers first responders, and yes, now we are going to in fact test essential workers. Those are people who work in grocery stores, who deliver things to you, uh, who work in um, hardware stores, etc., cetera, uh, who have public contact every single day. And I think that that's a really good priority list if you have to ration, you are testing of 40 million souls to 60,000 a week. But it's bad news because until we can test, we're in trouble. Unless we can test widely, we're stuck with mitigation because we can't do containment. Testing is the backbone of any effort to reopen a country. People can't return to factories or distribution centers or offices crowded with cubicles until we have a consistent and rapid testing capability. And we know that those workers going back to work have been tested and are reliably negative. I say reliably with emphasis because the FDA as recently as Friday acknowledged that of the 400 tests that have passed through, you know, have been, have requested um, certification from the FDA, they have confidence in count them. One, two, three, four. And, you know, testing everybody as they, begin to start to go back to work in factories or distribution centers or offices or movie theaters or restaurants or whatever, you know, it's not a one-time thing. To go back to work, you've got to have workers who have been tested and are, as I said earlier, reliably negative, have not, do not have the the illness, for sure, because we're using a uh, well-approved FDA test. But that's not enough because those essential workers and those restaurant, beauty parlor, whatever, you know, manicure salon, retail store, et cetera, all those people, dog groomers, all those people, if they test reliably, if they test negative, yay, they're negative on that day. So you've got to continually test to identify new infections early in the process so that the newly infected contacts can be you know contacted tested quarantined tracked and we can then contain the community spread which gives you some confidence that the worker that you're you know for out of the clear blue sky the dog groomer that you deal with is in fact not Um, going to infect you with COVID-19 because somebody didn't infect them a week before. So you've got to continually test because the test is as good as the moment at which it was taken, a PCR test. And that's the most reliable kind of test we have. So I'm going to ask you, as as your eyes roll back in your head, um, over all that detail, Let's just put it in a more simple way. We are a 70% consumer economy. So that's retail and services, right? We, in 2017, our manufacturing sector became smaller than our service sector. Bad news, long-term, different subject, different day. So here's the question that you have to answer for yourself in this testing dilemma. Would you feel comfortable going to a restaurant where the staff have not been tested and retested recently, recently within the next last couple days? Would you feel safe going to the hairdresser or the barber? Do you feel confident when you go to the grocery store today that those frontline workers are not asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19? We really don't know and you know what else this virus does not honor state barriers either it doesn't recognize state boundaries at all so i ask you honestly because you get to answer this question in your own the privacy of wherever you're listening to this podcast would you feel safe getting on an airplane today tomorrow next week or until you know that Everybody else on that airplane has been tested and is not sick. And by the way, taking your temperature as you come to the doorway of the aircraft is not, it's, it's, it's a placebo. It makes you feel good, but it doesn't answer the question because we do know already that you can be asymptomatic. In other words, you haven't really broken out with the illness yet and be a spreader. So, only testing, only the really good PCR tests, you know, what will, will help us to see who is, in fact, um, safe to be with. Now, would you feel safe getting on an airplane? You know, I am a million mile flyer on United Alone. I wouldn't get on an airplane now if you paid me. I mean, I miss jet fuel in my, in my, the jet fumes in my nose. Yeah, I'm tired of being at home. Yeah, but get on an airplane? No, and United Airlines employees feel the same way. They've, they have um, told management that um, they will not fly unless everybody on the aircraft is wearing an approved mask. And everybody is fever-free. And again, I don't think having a temperature is, an, is a is n- enough of a safety feature until we better understand this disease. Let me ask you another question would you, about traveling. Would you feel comfortable staying in a hotel where the housekeeping staff has not been regularly tested for possible contamination from a previous guest? I didn't trust... Ha- hotel housekeeping before this crisis. I always travel with my handy little travel size cans of Lysol. And there are a lot of studies that support my sense of anxiety that were done in years past as well as what we are experiencing near term. I could go on and on with examples, but you get the idea. Testing is the key to reopen testing and verifying. Being able to identify people who are uh, suspect of having the disease and being able to contain and quarantine them so that they do not become spreaders is key to reopening this economy. The nation's leading bankers told the president that during his first call of the White House Economic Task Force, they told him, and I'm gonna paraphrase, that the economy cannot open without widespread and repeated testing because people will not feel safe. Bill Gates in a Medium piece has suggested that we need testing and only when we reach a point, if we don't yet have a vaccine, only when we reach a point when we have a therapeutic that is 95% effective, will people feel safe going to a concert or a sporting event or uh, something of that nature where there's a crowd of people. That could be a very long time away. 18 months, they tell us, for a vaccine. They're hoping it will be less, but it could be 18. And even after you have a vaccine, you're gonna have to continue to test to make sure there aren't any mutations that the vaccine doesn't cover. On the public health side of the question, widespread testing is absolutely crucial to understanding where we are in the course of the epidemic. I mean, all of this social distancing, which, stems from a 2007 study uh, done during the Bush administration as a result of the reading of Bailey's book on the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, is the best tool that we have right now. Think about that. The thing that worked a century ago to begin to push the curve of infection down in the Spanish flu is exactly the same technique we are using right now. So we got to take advantage of what we know now that they didn't know 100 years ago. And what we know now is that widespread testing is absolutely crucial to understanding where we are in the course of this epidemic. And the early results of random serology testing, which is to find, you know, you've heard the concept herd immunity is part of finding the solution. The early results of these serology tests that show whether or not you have antibodies, whether or not you've had the illness um, <clears throat> and or not, um, the first two sets of tests done in California um, actually showed antibodies were present in as many as eight times the number of volunteers as the researchers had anticipated. That's quite a delta. And while those findings are not yet peer-reviewed, the findings make more sense after the county health officials were notified just two days ago from today, in other words, almost four months after the fact, that autopsy tissue from a woman who died in Santa Clara County on February 7th tested positive for COVID-19, and she had not traveled to China or Europe. She didn't know anybody who had traveled to either of those places, and therefore, she is now the first known case of community spread of COVID-19 a month earlier than we knew, which means it was in our environment for a month more than we knew. And that means that there is such a significant variance in the amount of illness that people experience with this disease that without testing, without really good and repeated testing, we are never gonna know who all the spreaders are. There's just no other way. Now, we we all know in California, we're unique and different, but the interesting thing is that New York conducted similar tests and they found that almost a quarter of the population of New York has some COVID-19 antibodies. And that's about four times what the researchers assumed they would find, which means there are more people out there who have the potential to pass serious illness to another person unknowingly than we ever suspected. And that it's been going on for longer than we knew. If the numbers of people who had some form of the disease and thought it was just a cold or maybe, maybe a flu, well, if that was several times greater than what was expected, which means that these people were Out in society, and they were spreading the disease, and the result was that people died. That means reopening our economy without testing could potentially result in a return of the widespread outbreak of the disease, and the potential that we could still have a loss of life as bad as the worst models suggested of a million deaths, and that that would, in fact, lead to the long-term, and I do mean depression level, long-term crumbling of our economy. So it's those two factors that have to drive economic policy, health policy, social policy, and foreign policy going forward. Vice President Pence spoke this week of the individual efforts of stri- several state governors to work within the public-private health care systems in their states to increase the speed and coverage of testing with the dual aims of reassuring a frightened, a frightened population and and also enabling states to begin to ease back on restrictions and allow some degree of normal economic and social activity to resume. Well those state partnerships, Are vitally important. They are central to the get well future we also are so anxious to bring to fruition. But the states are constrained in several ways by the lack of a singular, focused national strategy to ramp up testing, to allow the country, not just a few scattered states, to reopen their economies, their schools, and other activities safely. For us here in California, who've been locked down the longest, not to fear people coming from Georgia or South Carolina or Florida or North Dakota or even Nevada across our very popular state border, or a big tourism state. And until the federal till there is an effective national strategy, the states are, are constrained almost to the level of, I, I, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, almost to the level of the Articles of Confederation. <clears throat> Every man for himself. So what are these governors faced with? There are more than 400 tests on the market in the U.S. today. There are, at this point, about um, 220 Tests that the FDA is now evaluating uh, for special emergency use. And when they're moving at this speed, we know they're going to miss stuff. They know they're going to miss stuff. The question is whether or not the rapid evaluation of these various tests, again, they have they have found the FDA has found four tests that they're willing to stake their role and responsibility in American society on are effective. There are 220 asking for special emergency use permission. We don't know whether those test results from these fast, you know, produced tests from all over the world and God knows what laboratories, we don't know yet nor does the FDA have the time in emergency use situations to really understand how many false positives or negatives any one of those tests is gonna give. Let's ask a question. If we had a national strategy, we could, ask, we could ask and answer the question, should we focus on those four reliable tests and and do everything we can to expand our capability, use those tests, or should we scatter our resources across hundreds of potential new tests, many of which are Chinese fakes. If somebody offers you a test over the internet for $19, don't take it. The FDA also says there are now over 70 potential therapeutics that are under investigation and another 220 clamoring to get in the door. Now, that's good news that one of them may work. It's bad news that the FDA is under so much pressure and has so little time to validate their effectiveness. It's like a do-no-harm strategy, not a, hey, this is really good strategy. So I ask you the question, without a national strategy without a vision, goal, and metrics to evaluate it against. How is the FDA, along with the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, how are they going to be able to effectively review the efficacy and safety of any of these potentially game-changing therapeutics in the COVID-19 battle while the same people are chasing countless mostly useless useless tests and it's churning you know the tests are churning the epidemic is churning everything is churning it's like a chipmunk on a wheel there is no way that in a scattershot manner the FDA can tell you yes this new test. <clears throat> This new therapeutic is going to work. What we need is a single science-based strategy executed by one responsible person. One person who has skills in public health and in medicine. One person in charge of creating and seeing to the execution of a strategy that person freed from political interference. That's what this country needs. But after the firing of Dr. Rick Bright over the uh, hydrochloroquine comments that the president didn't like, well, after that, after that firing, do you think there is a single responsible person Who's going to be willing to speak up? Well, only if only if that person believes that their presence or absence doesn't make a difference to public health. And that's the problem that Dr. Burks finds herself in all too often that she believes her presence serves the public good. And because of that, she's careful not to always say what's on her mind. Now that situation may change, but if it does, things could get even worse. Thus, we must turn to Dr. Brix's testing capacity dog and pony show at last Monday's White House briefing. What a complete total waste of time and resources. And she knew it. There was a hard pressed, time compressed uh, effort by the United States military uh, medical personnel to get to a weekend, a weekend to create a spreadsheet and a PowerPoint, uh, that illustrated every private or commercial m- medical lab by zip code by state. I have to pause. I have to steeple my hands. I want to scream.
0: Right. Sorry. Was that something you're actually doing or is that part of your show?
1: I'm. I, I actually just did steeple my hands, even though I wrote this sentence. It's just blowing my mind. The governors do not need the federal government to tell them what their laboratory capacity is, because the states license the laboratories, each and every one of them, except those that are owned and operated by agencies of the federal government. Thus, you understand why I want to. Beat my head against the computer. What that whole dog and pony show was was a blatant political effort to shift responsibility for this from the United States government's fa- dismal failure at testing to the states. The states that already knew. That the problem was not their capacity to run PCR tests, but to get the tests done themselves. And what I worry about is that Dr. Bricks, who has an incredible reputation, is becoming yet another highly respected government leader whose association with Donald Trump is damaging her reputation. Rick Wilson has proven correct once again, everything Donald Trump touches dies. Because what Dr. Bricks did doesn't matter. At its core, the testing issue is once again one of supply and demand. All the laboratory capacity in the world is worthless if you don't have the PPE for military and civilian personnel to conduct the tests both inside and outside the classic hospital or clinic site. Even more critical is the supply of sterile synthetic material swabs that healthcare professionals use to collect the patient's specimen and the reagents, the chemicals that are used to extract the virus RNA from the specimen in a 100% reliable manner. And that is the underlying reliability factor in testing that the specimen remains stable and viable on its way to the laboratory and that that stable specimen can be have the viral material extracted at the laboratory to tell us whether or not there is infection present and you know this is a global pandemic nobody planned for it so those necessary supplies are in short supply and because of short-sightedness both recently and in the past quarter century we find ourselves without an internal supply chain that can provide those products Neither the raw materials needed nor the manufacturing capability. They exist in the United States, but the identification is sort of like raising your hand, a little company, raising its hand and saying, I can do some of this stuff, just help me a little bit. And and it's these little companies that have a horrible time trying to get through the bureaucracy and get to the point where they can talk to somebody who really could make something happen that would change the situation. And that's why you need a single point of contact, a single person responsible with authority and who is truthful and trustworthy. You want an example. So right after Dr. Bricks's presentation of gobbledygook, the White House task force public health expert, Dr. Grigor, got up to the podium and announced that the federal government has procured millions of swabs from manufacturers right here in the good old USA. Companies that didn't need to be compelled, they had stepped forward voluntarily. In other words, they had figured out some way to get to the top of the of the food chain, raising their hand, you know, waving the flag. Or because they were Massachusetts calling the governor's office and getting Stanley McChrystal involved. Yes, General McChrystal is running Massachusetts response. You know, they they said, you know, we could change over our current, you know, we could add a current law, a new, new line, we could change over, but but we need some help with the costs of changing over. And that sounded like just a miracle. But just a miracle, yes, we were gonna have this new source of millions of these all important, it all starts with swabs. And with a magic wave of his wand, Dr. Grigor put the onus to deliver test results back on the states. But it isn't that easy, folks. Next came a young whippersnapper who looked like one of Jared's cronies, promising millions of swabs had been procured from unnamed factory in Massachusetts that needs to add this manufacturing line and an unnamed factory in Ohio that could change over from making Q-tips made of cotton to the synthetic that we don't have enough of, a third factory that will add a third shift to their existing workforce to make more of these medically certified devices. Ooh, did I just add a... Point of complexity in this process that these swabs have to be medically certified by the FDA as, as ethical and sterile. And so it would be truly, truly magical, mystical, indeed miraculous if those swabs were to appear so that the ramp to testing could be so steep that it would test everyone, millions of people per week. The 30 million per week that the Harvard's Rockefeller Institute predicts that in six months from now, we will still need to be doing, ongoing and repetitive. But then we got down to the details. The factory in Massachusetts has not yet submitted a white paper to FEMA that describes how, when, where, and with what it's going to get this new manufacturing capability built, staff tested, and certified. The same is true for the second factory in Ohio. And the third factory would would have to hire additional personnel and train them to staff this additional shift and make sure that none of those new factory workers test positive for COVID-19. So it's not surprising that the day after this presentation The government kind of went back to, well, it's up to the states. I mean, testing, it's up to the states to ramp up their testing. But the bottom line is that the states, left to their own devices, have to compete with one another to grab from the market the swabs that are available. Not to mention that we don't even make those reagents in the United States anymore. And so what we learned on Tuesday, as they were walking it back, is that this talk about millions of new swabs having been procured inside the United States is just happy talk. We are an indeterminate period away from a comprehensive, reliable, national ability to test, track, trace, and contain COVID-19. And you know what? That comprehensive, reliable, national ability to test, track, trace, and contain COVID-19, that's both a public health necessity and it is what has to come first to rebuild consumer confidence to get people back into the shopping mall, even with a mask on. That's the only way that our economy can slowly but surely come back from total devastation. Every day that the Trump administration continues its magical, mythical, happy talk about testing testing less than 2% of the nation's population is a day that is also a day of magical, mystical economic recovery for the 22 million Americans who are now displaced with more coming as this crisis goes on without an end in sight. And what makes this most tragic is that the solution is at hand. It's at the president's hand a single individual, a single organization headed by that individual, empowered by a singular focus on COVID-19 tracking and tracing strategy, the development of that strategy, and then a plan to execute that strategy that identifies and builds out the capacity we need. A capacity which we will need into the foreseeable future, and I don't mean 18 months. I mean now on. That plan must also explain how you're going to distribute supplies to the states and not gouge the states. How you're going to deploy experienced manpower to areas that are underserved, and to the hot spots that will inevitably occur without those, again, being individuals in hospitals that are not heavily impacted, raising their hands and saying, hey, over here, we need an organization headed by a single empowered person whose total focus is on fixing this testing issue, making it seamless, making it American efficient and doing it with complete focus and without political interference. And until we get that, any other approach is just so much more tragic fairy dust.
0: Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally... Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.